So we are beginning a new series on the gospel according to Mark. And I want to tell you a couple things about the gospel according to Mark. Um, probably familiar with it. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you things that you probably don't already know, but it, there's something about setting context when you're starting a new book of the Bible that it seems appropriate. Number one, um, Mark, we don't know exactly who the author is. Uh, there's some talk that it was John Mark that we hear of in scripture. Uh, we don't know that for sure. We do know this, that Mark was a disciple of Peter. And Peter was a disciple. His name's Simon here in the early in the, in, the, in the gospel here. But Simon was a disciple of Jesus. So in order for your book, your letter, your writing to even be considered as part of the canon or the collection of the New Testament, you have to either have been an apostle of Jesus, so walking and talking and knowing and loving him for the length of his ministry, um, or uh, you have to be a first generation disciple of one of those apostles. So just so you know, so you have to, in order to be authoritative and, and able to communicate the truth of it, they wanted to make sure that it is so close um, to the time that Jesus walked this earth that it could be trusted. Mark is the earliest gospel account. A gospel, gospel means good news, a gospel, uh, which was brand new. No one had ever heard of a gospel before Mark wrote his. This is the earliest one. It was written in around 60 AD and... Um, it was considered authoritative to all of the churches. So that means that, that they knew who the author was and that they, uh, and, and it got the apostles thumbs up on it. In fact, Mark, or Matthew and Luke both used Mark as their roadmap to start their gospels. What they did is they said that there's some things that Mark did not include that we think people would like to know. And they kind of recrafted their, uh, their gospel accounts, adding some stories. They didn't take much away but adding some things. And Mark was not all that concerned with chronology, the order in which things happened. Uh, he was trying to make a point, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, Luke is a little bit more on the chronological end. He really wants Jesus to, to, to arrive in Jerusalem as he did on Lamb Selection Day for the Passover. So each of these gospel writers has a different, a little bit different take. John, John's completely different. He had a, he, he didn't use Mark, Matthew, Mark, or Luke as a starting point. Uh, and we'll, every year we go through a gospel. So this is the year we're going to concentrate on the gospel according to Mark. I want you to know something about this gospel though. This gospel portrays Jesus. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's real of him, but some of you are old enough to remember, you remember Rambo? Okay. Um, if you remember the, the, the first movie, uh, Rambo was this guy who got sucked into something he didn't want to be a part of. That's not the Jesus thing. But, but every time Rambo came in contact with other people, even if there were a great force of people coming after him, his old commanding officers say, you don't know what you're dealing with. You're not going to win this. No amount of people, no amount of force could come up against this hero character from the 1980s Rambo. One of my seminary professors, I believe it was, said that in Mark, Jesus is portrayed as a spiritual Rambo, and he's right. Um, the gospel according to Mark does not start off with angel visitations to Mary or Joseph. It does not start off with who was the, who was the, the, the governor or the mayor or the king or anything else. It doesn't start off with talking about Jesus born as a, as a baby and having visitations from Elizabeth and, the, and John the baptizer leaping in. The, he doesn't start off with any of that. He doesn't start off with what we call infancy narratives, the, the passages of Christmas. He doesn't. He starts off with the gospel, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
Boom. And then he talks a little bit about John the baptizer. He talks a little bit about Jesus going off into the wilderness and being tempted by the devil, but doesn't tell us anything about it. And then bam, Jesus is a force to be reckoned with from the first moment he speaks. And what, what's clear in Mark is that Mark has no question who Jesus is and that he is who he claims to be. There is no question. In fact, Mark starts off so abruptly that there are things that are easy to miss. In the first chapter alone, there are six scenes, six boom, 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 and they're just a couple of verses each. But if we pick them apart a little bit, we will see how much Mark is communicating, what, what Jesus is doing, but Mark wants us to not forget it. He doesn't, he, Mark does not spend any time setting scenes. Mark lets Jesus be the scene. And it, 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 it's phenomenal, actually, that uh, I've, I've preached through or taught through the gospel according to Mark 10, maybe 12 times. It is the first gospel I ever studied in gospel literature at Hope College with Jenny Everts as my professor. And um, I know this gospel through and through. I know this gospel well. I can't, I can't say if you told me, a, you know, where does this parable show up? I couldn't tell you exactly, but I'm close. I mean, th this, is, this is the one, if I had to say, if I'm ever going to write something about a particular gospel, a studious work or a scholarly work, it's on this gospel. But I want to tell you that this week I learned brand new things. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit of God and the scholarship of God's, the people of God are such that, that even when I approach something that I know well, that I, it is, this, this scripture is alive. It teaches me something new, not just about the topic or about the book, but about God. And I'm blown away by some of the things I'm going to share with you today. Um, you might find them not nearly as interesting because I'm kind of a, a, a Bible nerd. I get it. Um, you might not go, wow, but there are some things here that Jesus is saying in the gospel according to Mark that you may not see if you haven't been able to look at it in HD instead of standard definition. So that's kind of the original language stuff. So I'm going to say a prayer. Uh, there's much more I could and I kind of want to give you about the gospel, Mark, but the time says we don't have that kind of option at the moment. So let's pray together. We'll get into these 14 verses. Lord, you're God and we're not. And I was humbled this week approaching this gospel again, um, knowing it well. Um, having studied it, having translated it, and to be blown away by new things I learned, not just about the book and about Mark, but about you. So this is your message for us, not my message for them. Help me to communicate whatever it is you want me to communicate and not to communicate anything you don't want me to say. Stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, whatever it is you want us to see, hear, and receive. And Lord, when we walk out of here today, help us know you better, not just know about you, but know you better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, this gospel says, it starts off the beginning of the guy, it's not up on the screen yet, but the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is not being ambiguous in any way. This gospel thing, it, no one has ever heard of a gospel before. Now we kind of think of it as life and times of Jesus. No one had ever heard about this before. He just says, this is the beginning. And I'm going to have you remember the beginning of the gospel. He's not saying that it's the end all be all, that everything that Jesus ever said or did is there. But it's even when the, the, the gospel ends, it's not over. It's just the beginning.
So, and then he, like I said a minute ago, he talks a little bit about John the baptizer coming to prepare a way, um, prepare the way, and then the baptism of Jesus and the, and the temptation, just a couple of verses on that. And then it starts off right here. After John was put in prison, and just so you know, there's a wordplay here uh, that it, it, we say he was put in prison because we know the story from the other gospel accounts, but, but it's after John was handed over. Remember, the beginning of the gospel is John, the predecessor to Jesus, being handed over, and it ends near the end when Judas hands over Jesus to be arrested and tried and then crucified. So after John was handed over, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Starts off right away. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news, the good news, the gospel. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Simon is the guy we end up calling Peter later. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed. Now, there's a ton right here. And I'll just give you a couple of nuggets. Number one, uh, we know, and Peter... By the way, Mark is a disciple of Peter. Peter has a lot of influence over this gospel. In fact, much of what Mark records are things that Peter told him. Peter makes sure that in this gospel that Peter is not seen in a great light. We kind of get the character of Peter because Peter, Peter's a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? He's one of those guys that, 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 that says something or acts and then thinks about it later. Peter wants his character to come out here. And we also wants us to know that he didn't come from a really well-off family. We find it right here that he was casting, he and Andrew were casting nets into the lake. You don't cast nets into the lake from the shore. If you have a boat, you have to, you have to figure out where the fish are going to be and you have to trudge those things around. If you're wealthy, and we'll find that out about James and John in a minute, if you come from a more wealthy family, you have a boat and you can go anywhere in the lake to find the fish. So Andrew and Peter, Simon, are just trying to eke out a living. And Jesus comes up to them and he says something that rabbis, that traveling rabbis, traveling teachers do not say. Traveling teachers, when they come up to you and they call you to be one of their disciples or one of their students, they say... Come with me, we'll follow God, and I will teach you about him. Jesus doesn't say that, notice. He says, come, follow me. Saying, he doesn't say, he doesn't say I will teach you how to follow God. He says, you come and follow me. There's a claim of divinity right there in that statement. He's saying to them, you will be different because you follow me, because I am the one that I'm going to teach you about. I know all there is to know. I am all there is to be. There's a claim of divinity here. We get so accustomed to come follow me. We, we love that. And as a fisherman, I love that he says, and I will make you fishers of men. I do. I love that part. We finally made it in the body. We got there. We got there. Rednecks and sleeveless shirts and too much and goggle tans and the whole deal. You know, the smell of, 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 of bait and the, the odd combination of bug spray and sweat and fish. At the end of the day, we got in there. But there's something right here that Jesus says that we don't even think about. If we look back in the Old Testament, anytime Jesus or God talks about fishing with his people, it's because God is going to convict them or change them or judge them. So think of it from a fish's perspective. 
If you are, if you're a large mouth, small mouth, spotted or striped bass in the United States of America, and someone is out there fishing for you and they're standing on a boat or they're standing on the shore and they cast a lure out there that fools you and you go up and you grab it, your life just changed forever. Because you thought you were eating a worm or another fish crawdad, suddenly, wham, you get hooked in the top of the mouth and get yanked out of the only environment you've ever known into air, out of water, and some creature that's huge grabs you by the lip, takes something out and either throws you over here so they will eat you later or put you back in. And what story are you going to tell your friends? That's a weird story. If Jesus is going to make someone a fisher of men, a fisher of men, men, a fisher of people, he's saying that, that I'm going to help you destroy the lives of men like you destroy the lives of fish. Now, he's going to do it in a glorious way. But I want to tell you just a quick story. When I was a youth pastor in, the, in a Christian Reformed church, uh, every year there was this thing called the Young Calvinist Federation Convention. That sounds exciting. Later renamed Youth Unlimited Convention because no one knows what a Calvinist is anymore. And we were in San Diego and they had, they had hired two primary plenary or major speakers to come. One was Ron Hutchcraft. Ron was the, actually the guy that led my wife to the Lord back when she was in high school in New Jersey. Ron is, is a well-known, he's got radio shows. He does a great mission work uh, with people, uh, Native American people. Today, uh, we send him money on occasion. Wonderful speaker, calm, gentle guy. And I, I, I fault the convention planners for not telling, asking them what their primary thing was going to be because they contradicted each other. Ron Hutchcraft and Mike Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli was, was not known to be calm. He was kind of crazy, kind of like John the Baptist kind of a preacher. He just, he's out there. He's kind of crazy. So all week long at this convention, I had these students that I had taken and they're hearing it and they're hearing it and they're hearing it. And it's awesome. Ron Hutchcraft is saying, get off the roller coaster of faith. Stop coming to conventions and getting all filled up and then going home and getting right back into your old life three weeks later. Get off the roller coaster. Stay faithful in prayer. Get in your scriptures. Get in a small group. Talk to people. Get to know Jesus. Get to know other Christians. Worship. And you just, just stay on the, the straight and narrow. Just keep walking faithfully in Christ. But get off the roller coaster. Every day he said, get off the roller coaster. His last message was get off the roller coaster in the, uh, Thursday morning. And the next speaker came in to finish it out from Thursday and Friday. And his very first words out of his mouth when he stood up, Mike Iaconelli was, get on the roller coaster. Terrible convention planning. Here's this thing, get off the roller coaster. And he says, get on. He says, Christianity, being a, a faithful follower of Christ is like getting on a roller coaster with no seatbelt. You have no idea. It's going to scare you to death. There's going to be adrenaline. It's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be loop-to-loops and upsy-downs and, you know, stomach's going to come out of your throat and the whole deal. He says, he's going to destroy your life in a glorious way, but Jesus will destroy your life. That is exactly what Jesus is saying to Andrew and to Simon when he says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You will be responsible for transforming the lives of human, human beings, destroying what they knew in a glorious way, making them someone that God wants them to be. That is a phenomenal call. Jesus starts off his gospel saying, it's now the kingdom repent, believe everything I tell you. And the first people he calls, he says, I'm the one to follow. And you're going to transform the lives of humanity.
And then a couple of, it says right here. It says, when he had gone a little further, he, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I'd be a little ticked off as dad. I mean, if you're, you're mowing my lawn on my tractor or my lawn, and, and, and someone comes up in a car, rolls down the window and goes, hey, let's go. And you just take off and go, half the yard's done. As dad, I'm going to be going. <laughs> How he let them go, I have no idea. But that family was a little bit better off because they had a boat and they had hired men. I'm assuming Jesus asked them the same kind of thing. And then when they, uh, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, uh, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, I'm gonna, I, I just want to tell you about this is, this, is, this is the first time they've ever heard anyone talk like this. See, I went to seminary, and I loved my seminary professors, and one person, I, I, I gave away enough, apparently, about one of my professors this morning in the earlier service that someone knew who I was talking about, and he goes, I want you to know that he's not like that. I said, no, no, I wasn't, he's an academic. We, there's one particular professor, we call this class as dead guys in Latin phrases. Because everyone we studied had been dead long ago, and he loved his Latin. And, and it was just hard to follow sometimes, but this guy knew his topic so well that he would, he would get into the minutia of it. And, and, it, and, it was, and, I, and I, I appreciate every minute of it now, but in the moment, I'm like, are you kidding me? He wasn't speaking and teaching as if he was the author of the book, but an expert on the book. The teachers of the law were like that. They knew the history. They knew the tradition. They knew how it had developed. They knew how we're supposed to think about Moses and, and how we're supposed to think about the priestly class. They knew, and that's what they taught. And that's how they taught it. They taught it kind of in an academic sense in a, in a way that, that might bore you, but this is the way to be a good follower of Yahweh. But when Jesus shows up and he's talking in the temple, he's speaking as the one who wrote the book. Think about it this way. If, you, if there's someone who is a tradesperson, a master electrician or plumber, and, and they, wrote the, the, they, they wrote the book, they know everything about it. If I have an insatiably curious mind, and when I'm talking to someone, I know that when someone comes to do electrical work at my house, that it's gonna cost me double because I'm gonna keep asking questions, right? So it's double if you watch. But I just wanna know because I don't know anything. I know just enough to burn my eyebrows off which I have a, that's a story for another day. But someone who knows it, who lives it and does it, they can speak with no doubt. Jesus is in the temple and he's not preaching like a preacher. He's preaching like an author. And they're blown away. It says here that not like the teacher of the law, it says that the people, that his the people were amazed at his teaching because he, he taught as one who had authority, not as a teacher of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Calls him by name, knows where he came from. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, one other thing that I gotta tell you about Mark, if you wanna know who Jesus is in the gospel of Mark, at least in the first part, because there's this idea of Jesus tries to keep it secret, the demons get it right every time. They will not let him stay secret. They get it right every time. They know exactly who he is, and they shudder, and they tremble, and they flee. 
And, and, he, and he calls Jesus out like, I know you were, you're here. And what I love about this particular story is we, we have this thing that says, it says here, the next verse, be quiet, Jesus says. It's not what it says in Greek. It's not the original language. It's not, I promise you, I did the work. It says, shut up. We clean it up. Because, you know, you don't say in polite society, children, don't say shut up. If you come into contact with a demon, say shut up. But other than that, it's not a polite thing to say. You can follow Jesus' example in everything that you do, except at funerals, because he interrupted everyone he ever went to. And you probably shouldn't say shut up. But that's what he says. The word is to shut up with a muzzle. So Jesus, this, this demon cries out to Jesus. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And he says, shut up. Come out. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out, came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they, ha- they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee. Just a couple of little nuggets here. You see what's happened in just these couple of little scenes with Jesus. Number one, no, no fanfare, just it's time, the gospel, repent and believe it. You follow me, not follow me as I point you to someone else, you follow me, you're going to be part of destroying the lives of people in a glorious way. And then the thing that everyone's afraid of, the demonic, he calls it out and it has to obey him. Now think if you're one of the, if you're Andrew or if you're Simon, you've been with him three days, you just left everything you know and you show up and okay, we're at church and you hear me speaking with authority. You're like, oh, sweet. We sign on to the right guy because he's not boring. Now like Walker up there right now, he's, he's bringing it. He's got the chops. And then some crazy guy stands up. Who do you think you are, son of God? And Jesus yells at him and shuts him up and, the, and, he, and he shrieks, he comes out and this guy's all better. You've got to be thinking, oh, not sure I signed up for this, but okay. And then the very next thing they do, as soon as they, they had left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So not the place with all the 4K TVs and, and Apple TV 4s and all that kind of stuff. They went to the poorer of the houses and they're hanging out there. Simon's wife's mom is sick. Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever and they, to- and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left and she began to wait on them or to serve them. The evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, and, but, uh, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He wanted his actions to speak for themselves. He didn't want to claim the authority. He wanted to show that he had it. Now, here's a piece, a nugget that I learned this week that I did not know. I, that doesn't mean you don't know it, but we know that a fever, especially with this whole COVID thing, you know, you go to, even if I go to the dentist, they take my, I can, I got, I've got to go to the doctor uh, this week just for a follow-up on something and, and they're going to take my temperature. 
Why? Because if I have a fever, it is likely that I have either flu or COVID-19. A fever is a symptom. It's your body's way of fighting off an infection of some sort, whether it be bacterial or viral. That is what we know. That is how we treat. I'm not saying that we're more enlightened than the people of the day, but I do know that the people of the day, I just learned this, that they believe that a fever was its own disease. Leprosy, other kind of skin conditions, pneumonia, all those things. But if you had fever, you got it from one of two, in one of two ways and only one of two ways. It was a fire burning inside of you that was put there by a spiritual entity. It's either demonic curse or God's judgment. So Jesus comes in contact with people and says, don't follow me as I point to, don't, don't learn from me as I tell you how to follow God. He says, you follow me. I will help you become everything that destroys in a glorious way the lives of men. You will transform lives. Then he preaches as an author. Then he calls out a demon. And then he shows up to a friend's house and a spiritual disease. All he does is grab her hand and she's all better. And then if you watch just the last couple of verses of this chapter, you'll see that Jesus in the morning gets up and he's praying all by himself. He's exhausted. And his new disciples come to find him. Like, hey, everyone's waiting for you. They want, you know, they want more, they want more, they want more. And he goes, nope, that's not what I'm here for. Word is out. We're going to go off. We're going to go trampsing all around Galilee. And then they run into a leper, an incurable disease. And he loved that guy. He touched that guy and he cleaned that guy. And then a guy with a spoken spinal cord, he made him stand up. He is taking on everything that the people are afraid of in the gospel of Mark immediately. And he's calling it out. And he's saying the kingdom of God, the God of the universe, I am his son. I am God with skin on. I will, I will take on everything and I will make old things new. I will make broken things fixed and I will make sickness health. There is no question in Mark's mind of who Jesus is and that he is indeed who he claimed to be. He is the author of scripture. He's the author of salvation. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So as followers of Jesus, I don't have many challenges for you today from this passage. I do have one and it's simple. I'm going to ask you to read through the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be going through this between now and Easter next week. Um, Todd Vinek, the executive director of Mission India, will be here. We've been doing phenomenal work, us with some other churches in India. He's going to talk about that. He's going to preach a message, and I can't wait to hear him. He's one of my favorite communicators. Um, but after that, we'll be in Mark 2 and 3 a little bit. But we can't devote one week to one chapter and still make it in, in time for Easter. So read it. Read it well. Watch for the little nuggets. Like when Jesus healed this woman, Simon's mother-in-law, What's her first response? Serving. Serving Jesus and others. Just caring about other people. I was sick and now I'm well and I want to give myself to the work of the kingdom. Look for those little nuggets. Look for the messianic secret where Jesus is not telling everyone who he is. Watch the demons. They know. But folks... If you read through the gospel according to Mark, it's the shortest gospel, you'll have victory soon. But if you read a chapter a day and you get through it and as you go through, you go, ah, you know what, I don't know, I don't know about that. Then you have a question of who Jesus is. 
And Francis Chan would say, when you come up into something in scripture and you, and you disagree with it, you have to assume that you are wrong. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you read the gospel according to Mark, the first one, the, the authoritative one, the, uh, the one, the other two, the two other gospel writers based their gospel accounts on, that says from the very first words that Jesus is God, the savior of humanity, when you see from the very beginning that he is, that nothing's gonna, he, nothing's gonna stop him, nothing's getting in his way, he will accomplish what he's come to do, even the cross. If you read it and you go, ah, you know what, I don't know if I buy that. Then Mark would have you go back to the beginning, start again, and keep reading, and keep knowing, and keep understanding, until you come to know Jesus not just know about him. Now to skip into, Mar into John chapter 17, verse three, Jesus says this, and this is everlasting life. He's talking to the father, that they know you, not know about you, but know you, the one true God. This isn't about knowledge like the teachers of the law. This is about a person, a relationship, and a destruction of your life in a glorious way. The old will be gone, the new will come. Your eternal address depends on who you think Jesus is and whether or not you receive him as your Lord and Savior. And that is what the gospel of Mark is all about. And that is what we're gonna talk through over the next several weeks. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that some of these scenes are hard and while I do not want to thank you for the hard year we've had, I do want to thank you for being present in it, for being the hope bringer in it, for being the mercy shower in it. And I want to thank you that you have chosen to use the supernatural vehicle, your church, to be light shiners, mercy bringers, and glory givers. Help us have no question who you are and whose we are. In Jesus' name, for his sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen.